You know, there are some uh, schools that have uh, very common generic nicknames. You know, when I was growing up the, in our, uh, our high school uh, you know, conference, the three out of the eight schools were the Panthers. So it kind of felt like every week we were playing the Panthers. But they're, they're, so there are some that are kind of generic, but there are also uh, some that are pretty unique. You know who this guy is? My father-in-law graduated from the Wichita State University. And this is the Wooshock. The Wooshock. Uh, they're known as the Shockers. But it's kind of funny how they got their name. It's an interesting story. So apparently, uh, around 1901, when the football team uh, for the school was uh, on their off-season or during the school when they weren't practicing, the way that they earned money for their tuition was they would harvest wheat. And so when they harvested it, they, they would bring it together and bundle it together, and those bundles are referred to as shocks. Well, the shocks then were put through, of course, through this threshing process, right, where you, you separate the wheat from the chaff. And so eventually, that's how their nickname began. You know, somebody, uh, they, they noticed how they were um, shocking the wheat, and so somebody on a football poster the next week for an upcoming game called them the Wheat Shockers. You know, they're advertising the football game. Come out and watch the Wheat Shockers. Well, of course, they've sort of shortened that name today. They're now known as the Shockers. And this mascot, of course, is called the Woo Shock. But when we think of Scripture, when we think of Scripture, their agriculture and farming plays such a major theme in Scripture. Of course, that makes sense to us, right? Because that was their livelihood in that day. You know, we can read throughout the scriptures and we'll notice the passages talking about how they were reaping in their fields or, uh, or binding sheaves. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, uh, this, uh, this couple of weeks ago, my family and I, uh, with the children, we, we sort of taught them a lesson about, you know, how they would have done things back in the old day. If you're familiar with the, the parsonage, uh, there's a grapevine on one of the fences. I believe Brother Terry Smith planted that grapevine on this fence. And it's a, in the summertime, it's quite beautiful. You know, the grapes start to produce. And so what I had the kids do here a couple of weeks ago is I had them pick off uh, a bunch of those grapes. And then we put them into a, an old tub. And then I had them take off their shoes and kind of stomp around in it a little bit to get the, the juices to come out. And then we poured the, that, that grape juice into a cup and kind of showed them, you know, how in the old times, in the days of Jesus, they would have produced grape juice. You know, we see this stuff throughout Scripture. I mean, you can't miss it when you're reading through Scripture of, of agriculture and farming. And other times, the Bible uses it metaphorically. You know, Brenton just read us Isaiah chapter 5, verses uh, 5 through 7, uh, that talks about how uh, God is going to not take care of his vineyard, uh, the, the nation of Israel, at some point. Remember, he said that he, he's not going to prune it. He's not going to garden it. He's not going to water it anymore. You know, Jesus did this as well in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, and he refers to the day that Jesus is going to judge the earth. And he says uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, this uh, farming agriculture terms uh, to help the people understand uh, you know, what it's going to be like on the day of judgment, that Jesus is going to gather his wheat and he's going to burn the chaff. Well, on the evening before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus assembled his disciples with him in Jerusalem in that upper room, you remember, to celebrate the Jewish Passover. And during those hours before they leave and 
head to the Garden of Gethsemane, a number of events transpire. And one of those events is the focus of this lesson here this morning. It's found only in Luke's account. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. And again, we're going to see that agriculture, that, that farming type theme come up here. And we're going to need to take notice of that. So, so let's read the verse together. And then we'll notice a few things. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. What I want to do this morning is sort of slow down a little bit. We're going to go through these passages again, uh, analyze what's being said, understanding the text. And then at the end, we're going to apply this to our lives, make some applications, learn from some lessons that we can learn from. So again, Jesus begins by saying here, Simon, Simon. Well, who is Simon? Well, of course, this is the Apostle Peter. You know, sometimes he's called Simon. That's his given Hebrew name. When we first meet him, he is known as Simon. But of course, Jesus later renames him Peter. Well, Cephas in most scriptures, that's his Aramaic name, Cephas. But that's translated Petros, which is where we get the word Peter. And Petros means a rock. Right? So Jesus, when he's naming Peter, when he's giving him this new name, he's prophetically indicating the man that he is going to be. He knows what this man's going to be, that he's going to be a rock in the church. You know, of course, Peter is the one who preaches that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 to the Jews. And he's also the one who preaches first to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. But notice this here for a moment here, that Jesus reverts back to referring to him as Simon. You know, that should be a red flag to all of us uh, that, uh, that, that he's referring to him as Simon. And maybe he's not truly the, the rock as of yet that he's going to be. You know, if I ever heard the words in my home growing up, Michael David, I knew something was up. I knew something was up. It wasn't unusual for someone to say, hey, Michael, come here. But to hear the words, Michael David, get over here. You know, I knew something was up. I knew that there were red flags going up all around me. You know, that's the same idea here when Jesus says, Simon, Simon. You know, there's a degree of stress and frustration and sadness uh, in the voice of Jesus when he uses that, uh, that double use of the word. You remember when Jesus was eating with Mary and Martha and Martha was upset that Mary had gone to go and sit at the feet of Jesus and she's there uh, having to serve by herself and she goes and complains to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to her? Martha, Martha. Right? You're worried about, you're, you're so worried about those uh, things that don't necessarily matter. But Mary, she's chosen the good things. Or even uh, later on, Jesus is going to say when he's thinking about the city of Jerusalem and what's going to happen to it, when it uh, what's going to happen to it eventually someday. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right? Again, there's this sadness. There's, there's this frustration in the voice. Jesus upon the cross. My God, my God. Why have thou forsaken me? Again, that's the idea here. Jesus talking to Peter, Simon, Simon. Again, you're not quite the rock that you're going to be. But behold, Satan has demanded permission. 
You know, that's a, that's a warning there. Behold, Peter, a warning. Watch out. Look out. Because the adversary, Satan, he has, your translation might say desired or asked. But a better translation uh, will say he has demanded. He has demanded permission. You know, th- this verb here is very intense. It's stronger than just inquiring. It's not like Satan's coming up to Jesus saying, you know, well, if it's possible, may I have Peter? Can I have it, please? No, that's not what he's saying at all. He is demanding Jesus to turn over Peter. Look at the arrogance, the arrogance of Satan, the adversary. Well, what does he want to do? He wants to sift you like wheat. Again, here, here's that idea of sifting. Here's that agricultural term. The process of separating the wheat from the chaff. Right? You, you take the wheat, you bundle it in a shock, uh, or you place it upon some hard rocks. You take a stick and you start whacking it uh, back in that day. Uh, then, then take it all together and throw it up into the air. And what you're hoping to do is the chaff is going to blow away in the wind, but those kernels of wheat are going to fall straight down so that you can collect those. It's going to be separated. Right, The wheat from the chaff. You're going to gather the wheat, but later on you're going to gather the chaff as well, but you're going to burn it because it has no use. And the Bible often uses, again, this metaphor of the wheat and chaff to distinguish between good and evil. Again, we just read Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, where John the Baptist said that Christ is going to gather his wheat into his barn and he's going to burn the chaff in unquenchable fire. Psalm verse 1 uh, or excuse me, Psalm 1, verse 4, talks about how the wicked are like chaff. Right? Uh, they, uh, the wind just drives them away. There, there's no purpose to it. And Satan has the chaff. Right? Satan has the chaff. He doesn't want you as wheat. He wants you as chaff because he can't have the wheat. But also notice this in this verse, verse 31. Simon wants to, or excuse me, Satan wants to sift you. Notice that word you. This is, this is pretty interesting in particular because we can't see this in our English translations. But in the Greek, this word you is second person plural. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means uh, Jesus isn't saying Satan wants you, Peter, wants you specifically. But he's saying he wants y'all. Right? He wants you all. He wants all of you. And the implication here is that that Satan wants all of Christ's disciples. He has demanded permission to sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Jesus said. See, the Lord assures Peter that he is praying against Satan's diabolical plan. And this word for prayer here, it's most often translated supplication. Right? This, this isn't necessarily just a generic prayer, but it's a supplication. You're asking for something. You're, you're asking God to supply you something. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer of supplication. I'm asking God, Jesus says, to supply you something that you're going to badly need, Peter. What did he ask God to supply him with? That your faith may not fail. He prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. The word fail means to go out of sight, to cease to exist. And again, it's very interesting when you discover that the word there for fail is where we get our English word eclipse. Have you ever seen a solar eclipse where the moon is between the earth and the sun? The sun seems to be blotted out. It seems to cease to exist. Or even a lunar eclipse when the moon is in the earth's shadow and you can't see the earth, or excuse me, the moon. It's blotted out. It ceases to exist. Jesus says, I've asked God to bless you that your faith may not blot out, Peter, that it may not cease to exist. 
And then Jesus says, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Right? He's hinting there that Peter is going to turn away uh, from him. And of course, we're going to notice that here in a little bit, that he does, of course. That Peter denies him those three times. But when you come back, Peter, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now, of course, Peter says, Lord, uh, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. That's Peter, right? That's typical Peter fashion, being bold and reactive. I'm ready, Lord. I am prepared, Lord. Don't worry about me. You know, I've got your back. You know, I think Peter is pretty sincere about that, about this statement. Remember in the garden, eventually when they get to the garden, uh, who is it the one who takes out his sword and swipes, at the, the right, swipes off the right ear of the high priest's servant? Well, that's Peter. And do you think Peter went in there and surgically cut off that ear? Or do you think he was taking a headshot at that servant? Peter was ready to go to prison for Jesus. He was ready to die for Jesus. But then Jesus says there in verse 34, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Notice here that Jesus goes back to referring to him as Peter. He began by saying, Simon, Simon. But now he refers him back to Peter. You're going to deny me three times. And that's not going to happen not long from now. Right. That's exactly what he does. Not once, not twice, but three times. He says, I don't know who this man is. Well, there are so many lessons that we could talk about here this morning from this text. So many different ones. Maybe you can think of three. Uh, I'm going to give you my top three this morning. But let's notice these points uh, here this morning. And number one, I want us to notice that Jesus says that Satan is real. That Satan is real. You know, Jesus considers the devil to be a real individual, a real entity, a real spiritual being. Peter, Satan has asked to have you. Right? He, he knows who you are, Peter. And he knows that you're a disciple of mine. You know, many have this warped view about Satan even today. You know, some have this view of what's referred to as dualism. Right? This is often depicted in cartoons or in television shows where you've got you know, maybe God on one shoulder and you've got Satan on the other shoulder and sort of they have the control trying to tug you back and forth as if they each are, are, have eternal power, as if they each are all powerful. But that, of course, is not the case. That's a warped view of Satan. Again, notice in this verse, he had to ask Jesus for permission to have Peter. See, God allowed Satan, even in the book of Job. You remember in Job chapter 1 and 2, he allowed uh, Satan to have those things to do against Job. But again, he was limited in what he could or could not do. But the bigger problem that we have today is that many don't even believe Satan is real at all. You know, uh, sure, they'll say, you know, uh, good and evil exist. Sure, that's true. But isn't Satan simply a word that um, we use to personify evil? Right. Satan's not a real uh, entity, a real individual, but he's just uh, that's just a word that personifies evil. Or, Or some will even say, you know, Christians just made up Satan to scare individuals into becoming Christians. Well, friends, Satan is real, and it is true that Satan is evil. You can't spell the word devil without the word evil. The Bible says that he tempts and he deceives and destroys and lies and murders. And Scripture even often refers to him as the evil one. 
and the wicked one. He is a liar and the father of it. And although Satan is not deity, again, he does not have infinite powerful abilities. He, he does not have eternal attributes as God. The devil is as real as you and I. He is as real as God. But again, he's, he's not a fairy tale character, a legend, or, or you know that little red cartoon that we often think of with his, his horns and his pitchfork. You know, we see him throughout the scriptures, all the way back, starting in Genesis chapter 3, of him being in the garden, tempting Eve. Jesus, of course, refuting him in Matthew chapter 4 when he's beginning his ministry. After Jesus was baptized and went into the wilderness and fasted for those 40 days, uh, he, he was attacked by Satan in the wilderness. And of course, we even read about in Jude verse 9 about how Michael, the archangel, contended against Satan for the body of Moses. But here's the point. We should never overestimate or neither underestimate Satan. Again, he is not deity. He is not all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. But he is also not a figment of our imagination. Unlike God, he desires all men to be lost. If you're still in Luke chapter 22, if you go all the way back to verse 3 in the same chapter, you notice that he's going to take care of one of the 12 disciples, Judas. He takes Judas. And now he wants Peter but not just Peter, as we mentioned, he wants you all, right? He wants y'all. He wants to sift you, Christians like wheat. Again, he has the chaff. That's his. But he wants the wheat. We know that Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to someone to devour. One of my favorite gospel preachers uh, who passed away a few years ago, Wayne Jackson, told a story about how he was at a lectureship one day. And this was when he was quite younger, but he was preaching at a lectureship. And when he got done, an older gentleman came up to him and shook his hand and told him what a great job he did. But then he, in a really low voice, whispered in his ear, boy, the devil really wants you. Now, he was telling that him as a compliment, but that kind of scared him a little bit. Right? The, the devil wants you. He wants all of you. He wants all uh, who are not his already. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, the scriptures tell us that we need to put on the full armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, right? that we contend, can, can, can contend against him. You know, he, he tells us about the, uh, that armory that we put on, the, those five defensive things. You know, put on the, 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 the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the gospel of truth, take up your shield of salvation, Put on your, 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 your helmet of salvation, excuse me, your shield of faith and your helmet of salvation. Defensively protect yourselves in those ways. But then he also gives us an offensive weapon as well. Wield the word of God. Wield the word of God. That's how Jesus refuted Satan in Matthew chapter 4. And that's how we must do it today as well. Again, Jesus said in this scripture, in this text, one of the first things that I noticed, that Satan is real. And he demands permission to sift us like wheat. And so we must be on guard because of that. Secondly, the second main point that I got from this text was that Jesus says that it is possible for a child of God to lose their salvation. Again, Jesus says to Peter, watch out, look out, Peter. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. But when you turn again, he says, the implication there again is that he's going to turn away from him. 
You know, there, there are some uh, doctrines, you know, we would refer to them as false doctrines in, uh, in the world that, uh, that people will teach. And maybe if you try to uh, look into them a little bit, you, you know, there are times where you might say, well, I guess I can kind of see where they're coming from. You know, I guess I can kind of see, uh, you know, how they got to that conclusion. But one of them that just boggles my mind is the idea of once saved, always saved. Now, now, there is a, a way in which, you know, when we go down into the waters of baptism and come up as Christians, there is an aspect that, you know, if we stay faithful until death, that we are once saved, always saved. But the idea of this doctrine is that once you become a Christian, there's nothing you could do that you could ever lose your salvation, that you could live a life contrary to the scriptures and you would never lose your salvation. But again, the Bible is packed full of scriptures warning Christians against that. Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul said, take heed lest you stand, right? Uh, lest you fail. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandments that he had given to them. Right? Why, why would Peter write... That it would be better for this group who became Christians and then turned away. Uh, it would be better them to have never have known than to have known and turned away. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's read this passage together. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. I think this one is pretty emphatic uh, as well. If Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 26. Notice the Hebrews writer says this. For if we go on sinning willfully... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. You see that? He says, if we go on willfully sinning, there no longer remains a sacrifice for us. Why? Because that sacrifice will no longer help us. Because we can lose our salvation. We can turn away from him. I brought up last week, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light, uh, if we walk in the light, right? If we walk in the light, that word if, it's conditional. If we walk in the light, we still have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from our sins. Again, Peter, watch out, the Lord says. Watch out. But when you turn back, when you turn back, well, number three, Jesus says that it is possible for a child of God to turn again. Aren't you happy that Jesus doesn't play by the rules of baseball? Right, three strikes and you're out. Uh, Peter's case, three denials and you're out. But he doesn't play that way. Peter I, says, I am willing to die for you. I am willing to go to prison for you. But if you're still in Luke chapter 22, uh, look at verse, start in verse 54. Notice here, having arrested him, being Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they had sat down together. Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
Immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. Peter just realized what happened. Look at verse 61 and 62. This is so powerful. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What must have that look looked like? Was it disappointment in Jesus's eyes? Was it frustration? Was it anger? Whatever it was, it wrecked Peter because he went out and wept bitterly. Well, fast forward to Sunday morning as the women go to the tomb of Jesus. And of course, they get there and the stone has been removed. And they're met by these two angels wearing white, dazzling clothing. And they explain, of course, that Jesus rose from the dead as just as he said he would. And Mark chapter 16, verse 7 has a very interesting passage. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The angel said, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Listen, Peter is probably down and out at this point, wondering if he was even one of his disciples anymore, wondering if he was welcomed at all with his, his brethren. And Jesus just extended his grace and his forgiveness to Peter. You notice how he, he points out Peter. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter. This, there is even hope for Peter. You might be here this morning and you say, I can't come back. You know, I've done some things that are pretty bad in my life. I couldn't come back. I couldn't face Jesus. Jesus says, yes, you can. Put away your pride. Put away your humiliation. Because Jesus told Peter, I'm not done with you yet. He tells us that as well today. I'm not done with you yet. Again, this this passage here that we read this morning, it starts with a bit of sadness, with a bit of frustration. Simon, Simon. But we know it ends well for Peter. Oh, the valuable lessons that we can learn from it. Again, Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we need to watch out because we can fall from his grace. But we know that if we do, he wants us back. Or if you know someone that has... Let them know he wants you back. But brethren, we need to be on the alert because Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But as James chapter 4 verse 7 tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him. Put on that full uh, armor uh, and stand up against those schemes of Satan. He wants to sift you like wheat. This morning, as we offer the invitation this morning... If anyone here this morning has not put Christ on in baptism, we would love the opportunity to speak to you about that. The Bible says we need to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. And again, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life, Jesus says. Or if you're here this morning and you need the prayers of this congregation, maybe Satan has gotten to you. Maybe he has sifted you like wheat. And you're ready to ask for forgiveness. You're ready to come back. Any of those things, we would love the opportunity to pray for you, to help you, to encourage you this morning. Again, please let us know as together we stand and sing.